Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org. O-R-G. Today's episode is also brought to you by Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about, aka my first book. You can pick up a copy over at safetysucks.net if you want a signed copy. It's also available on Amazon through Amazon Prime. You can get a Kindle version of that. You can also head over to Audible or iTunes and get an audiobook version. Again, today is brought to you by Safety Sucks. Head over to safetysucks.net or pick up a copy wherever you find books or audio books. Hello, howdy, hi everybody, Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast, coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. I hope that you are doing absolutely amazing wherever you find yourself in this world. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for continuing to tune in. I greatly appreciate it. You make this thing absolutely awesome. Thank you to all of you that continue to reach out, continue to have that conversation. Again, I believe through that conversation is how we make this world a better place to work. And speaking of which, before we get into this thing, make sure you head over and you check out all that social media stuff. So go check us out on practically everything other than MySpace. Is that still a thing? I don't I don't know. Maybe. I guess it still exists, but we're pretty much everywhere except for there. So just go find me. It's just the hop nerd. And if you're not following me on LinkedIn, go follow me, please. It's just under Sam Goodman. You can look for this really ugly mug there and you'll be able to find me pretty quick. So I'm going to shut up because today we have on the one, the only, the amazing Andy Schoen. So we're going to just dive right into this thing. And we pretty much talk all things hop. We just kind of go here and there and everywhere, and it's a whole lot of fun. So I'm going to shut up, and here we go. And, and introduce yourself, and we'll start from there. Thanks, Sam. Um, Andy Schoen. I'm uh, CEO of Southpac Group. I've uh, been, been here with Southpac in Australia for um, 10 years prior to that. Um, 
I like to tell people it's my it's my little secret and don't tell anyone, but I was in the banking industry back in the UK before I came out here. So I had a complete, you know, about face, came to Australia, initially got into aviation, Southpac Aerospace is the longest established part of our, our business and specialists in aviation safety. So then 10 years uh, working in aviation safety. And then in more recent years, established Southpac International, focusing on other kind of high-risk businesses uh, outside of aviation. Uh, and predominantly focused on on hop, other things as well. Like uh, we, we we do work in management systems and leadership, kind of fund you know uh, supporting aspects to to hop. But hop's ultimately the the passion and the thing that really gets us uh, excited and keeps us uh, plugging away day after day. So so yeah, that's a, that's um, that's a little bit of my story where I've come from and what we're doing now. So let me let me ask you this: what what was the allure? What what drew you away from banking and drew you into <laughs> into aviation? I, I mean, I can I can listen on kind of the kind of the outside of you and go, "Well, it just sounds cooler." But <laughs> what, what what really drew you? That's, that's the interesting thing, right? So uh, it was a complete accident. The, the aviation, the change from banking to aviation. Leaving leaving banking is not hard because um, <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Um, so that was kind of an accident getting into banking in the first place. So that was kind of, it was always going to be a pilot growing up. I, I was one of those kids who just knew from a very early age, I wanted to be a pilot. So I was going to be a pilot, going to be a pilot, going to be a pilot, went to university to do law, fell into banking. Uh, and then after a few years, it was like, well, this isn't really all that, <laughs> all that great. Right. Um, and then it was kind of just after the GFC and it was a pretty crappy industry to be working in and, uh, and it was kind of, in some respects, I look back now with a hot lens and see so many things that were going on in the banking industry, and I have a completely different appreciation for it now, but that's probably a different story. But anyway, I met my now wife, my Australian wife, Amanda. She was living in London at the time. We met. Not long after we met, she left, came back to Australia. So now we kept in touch for a while, and eventually got to the point like, okay, well, what's, if anything's going to happen here, it's going to be down to me basically uh, upping sticks and, yeah. and coming over to Australia. So, so that's what I did. And I didn't really have a career that I was terribly married to and there was nothing to stop me. So I always wanted to travel and I had done a lot of traveling. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to, <laughs> going to Australia. And uh, yeah, cause kind of, that was, that was it. And then fell into, fell into the job with the uh, South Park aerospace and it's the rest is history. Is so. Wow. So let me let me ask you this as well. Um, what drew you to Hop? Because you touched on Hop there. Now that you're kind of looking back, and you'd mentioned that Hop is a, is a significant portion of kind of what you focus on. Um, it's interesting because I listened to your story, and and it's it's always interesting to me to ask people how they found themselves in this kind of weird and wonky profession. Because no one has this clear-cut answer, number one, right? Nobody has this, like, you know, I went to university, I wanted to be a safety professional, that's what I always dreamed of, and now I'm a safety professional, I work in this industry. You know, everyone that I ask, they've got this really weird and, and winding road, you know, that, that brought them <laughs> to this space. Um, and then it seems like a lot of us kind of find us, we find ourselves in this space, and then we go, well, that's not what I expected it to be. And then we kind of discover something else like safety differently or hop, or we kind of find that next level. So what, what mm. was it that drew you to human and organizational performance? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Like uh, aviation safety is an, it's an interesting sort of um, an interesting sort of mix, I guess, of old, old kind of traditional safety. And there's a lot of really good 
kind of relatively new ideas in aviation too. A lot of industries look at aviation and say, oh, aviation's great, it's what we aspire to. And, and aviation kind of believes that too and goes, oh yeah, well, we're great. And that, that's good, but it's also bad because it means aviation tends to be kind of quite insular, kind of believes it, can't, it hasn't got very much to learn from anybody else because, well, we're already so great. Um, so kind of all of my safety indoctrination, if you will, was all the kind of the ICAO pushed program, which is essentially based on Reason and Hudson and a, a few others. And obviously they've done a lot of heavy lifting um, through through kind of safety history, if you will. Um, but that was kind of that was kind of great. But then I started hearing some of Sydney's work, and uh, I think it was initially just some of the videos he was putting out, yeah. and that got me interested. So I started reading some Decker, and then next minute this kind of course popped up in Brisbane, uh, safety differently. And uh, so I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. I'm going to sign up for that. And uh, it was interesting because I, I signed up. And then the, I think within an hour of signing up, I got a phone call from Daniel Hummerdahl, who was the uh, who was the guy there in the line of work at the time. And he uh, he said, "Oh, how did you find out about the course? And why have you signed up?" And I was like, "Well, I just saw it on LinkedIn or something, and I was interested. I've been following some of this stuff, and and that was kind of really the for, first formal um, sort of an introduction to safety differently. And initially I did what everyone else does who's been exposed to relatively progressive ideas already. You go, oh yeah, this is kind of the same. And you go, yeah. and it takes some time. You know, uh, I read Whole Nagel, Safety 1 and Safety 2, and I think I read it twice before I really probably understood it. First time around, you're kind of going, yeah, okay, there's a lot of <laughs> strange terminology in here, which I haven't really wrapped my head around yet. And then second time around, and probably third time around, you're like, okay, I'm really starting right, to right. get this now. So that, that was kind of um, how I really started to get interested in, in kind of, I guess, new, new view. Uh, <laughs> had that kind of always felt very uneasy about seeing anything to do with blame associated with safety. You know, yeah. as anyone who's subscribed to kind of reasons, kind of worldview, you'd say, oh, yeah, of course, it doesn't make sense to blame the front, front line. Um, so that element of the kind of essentially the new view is there, but I probably wasn't adherent of the kind of the old sort of school, sort of like, well, the system itself is fine. Get people to follow the procedures and follow the rules. And if people don't follow the procedures or rules, it's primarily a behavioral issue as opposed to a system issue. Yeah. Um, and so th there was that kind of, some of those kind of shifts came a bit later, I guess. Um, so, yeah, but it's, um, but what kind of really, what the, perked the interest in hop was obviously through Todd's um, podcasts and so forth. And eventually I heard quite early on in the piece, Bob Edwards. I actually remember the day I was, I was walking in, in Tasmania. I was down there for an audit and I was going for a walk, listening to a podcast as you do when you travel on your own for work, you kind of yeah. just listening to podcasts and stuff. And I, I heard Bob on the podcast. And I thought I like the cut of this guy's gym. It's kind of, he's talking very practically and he was yeah. talking about learning teams. And I thought I'm going to get in touch with him and see if he, he will come out to Australia. So that was, of course, pre-COVID, and it was possible to <laughs> just right, to reach right. out to people <laughs> and invite them to come to your country. And uh, so I said to Bob, "Would you would you come out here?" I think that was that might have been late. Oh, I remember it was. I think it was like late mid to late 2016, and it took us about six months to to line it up. But eventually, yeah, Bob came out and introduced us to to Hop as before the, the kind of the new five principles were kind of being being shared. Yeah. And kind of introduced us to learning teams and all the rest of it, and it's um, yeah. So that was that's kind of how it started, and I just I really liked 
the description um, that went with Hop, and, and that's why I've kind of always just really stuck from that moment on with with Hop, human and organizational performance, because mm-hmm. I find it the easiest term to engage people with. Um, safety differently comes, with, in my opinion, comes with a lot of baggage in terms of a lot of people immediately get upset <laughs> when you talk right. safety. You're right. <laughs> uh, and safety two is problematic too. Not that Eric ever intended to be safety two is better than safety one, but that's a, in, in immediately how it's become perceived. Oh, yeah. safety two, it's like, therefore it must be better than safety one. Uh, whereas human and organizational performance doesn't have those same sort of issues or, or, or baggage right. with it about humans and organizations working together. And it's a nice segue into, like, well, it's about work. So how do we improve work for the worker? And that's going to go better, better outcomes across the piece. And I just find that's a very easy conversation starter, whether it's, whether it's with safety people, especially with operations people and with management and so forth. So we just really liked that kind of conversation. And of course, there's a five, the updated five principles came along and they make for a very easy conversation too. And so, yeah, that's kind of where, where we kind of latched onto it, I guess. No, that's, that's really interesting because it's, it's to unpack a little bit of that. It's, it's really interesting to me because as you kind of mentioned um, aviation, I, I, I really feel a lot of connection with you there as well, because I grew up in the commercial nuclear generation space and mm. kind of in power generation, nuclear generation was always kind of looked up to as the gold standard of, of safety excellence, as, yeah. <laughs> as a way to put it. And as we find ourselves uh, in the situation now, it seems like that industry is kind of rather lagging as they're kind of clinging on to a lot of the stuff that they had held on to for so long. And now we're, we're basically saying a lot of that's great. There's a lot of great stuff that we've built but we need to continue to evolve, right? I think that that's, that's the interesting step that we're starting to take now because I, I, really, I really appreciate your point in talking about some of the names that's, that's tossed around in this because that's a conversation point that continues to come up kind of over <laughs> and over and over um, with just about everyone that I chat with. It's that, right? Because we, we have about seven different things that we, we call what we're doing when really we're all pretty much talking about mostly the same sort of things here. And that's where, that's where I continue to cling to hop as well. Because the way that I've really started to view things is just doing safety a little bit better. It's more about doing things a little bit better, no matter what we're really trying to call it. And for me, kind of going back to those, those five principles, um, I really try to use that as my lens for most, most yeah, everything. If, if it jives with those principles, then we're, we're, we're pretty good. As long yeah, yeah. as it's not working against or counter to those principles, then we're probably talking to two different things. Right? When you start having that conversation with an organization that's going, no, 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 you don't understand. If you just beat, beat people hard enough, then we'll <laughs> finally fix them and everything will be fine. <laughs> And you're really? laughing because I know you've had some of those, those same conversations with people too, right? You've heard that oh, because man. I have, right? I've heard that so many more, times more than I would like to admit. That if just just last just week, made better week. choices, right? <laughs> <laughs> just last week, I was uh, our organization. Part of our organization is as, a, as an official uh, accreditation from the government, the Australian government. We're a registered training organization, and that comes with a whole lot of compliance, regulatory compliance, which, which is reviewed and improved and increased. Every year, it feels like when I say reviewed and approved, what I mean is that the regulatory burden is increased. Um, so they have a, a facelift every few years and change the name of things and ask put more regulatory requirements in place. But um, I had these two compliance auditors from the regulator auditing us, and, and in the opening meeting, they they actually said, 
they know that the terminology they use, if there are any issues, we'll issue you the intent to sanction. They don't even call them a non-compliance or non-conformance anymore. They're now called an intent to sanction. So I say, so intent to sanction, What? explain that to me. So, oh, it, it sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It just means there's a couple of issues we need you to fix up. Like, so, so your regulator's perspective now is, just get a much bigger stick or a scarier sounding mm. stick and you'll, right. you'll scare your way to training right. excellence. Is that, is that right. kind of, and I was like, I try not to be too facetious here, but this seems to be a bit of a regressive step. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think your regulators and our regulators have been hanging out. I think that's, that's, that's what it sounds like. It seems like. Well, these, with- aren't a, these aren't a safety regulator. They're, they're a training, uh, quality and compliance oh, no. type. Regulator, um, but I think they're still kind of in a kind of strange paradigm where they think, well, mm. if, if the uh, if the potential threat is scary enough, right. people will do what they're supposed to do, and it's kind of like, oh wow, okay, <laughs> this is really quite quite backwards. <laughs> no, they, yeah, exactly, and we see that, right? I mean, we we see we see folks try really really hard to 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 really beat people as hard as they can or to scare people into compliance or or fixing problems and that obviously doesn't accomplish very much at all if if anything it's it's quite the opposite it seems right i mean it kind of goes in the, the different direction instead of really um focusing on fixing things now we just try to avoid the source of pain uh, whether as an organization or as an individual with no matter how we apply that, right? We're just going to move away from it and try to try to shield ourselves from that rather than actually digging into maybe making things better, which might be a, a better goal, it seems like at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, so let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So you so you you welcomed a Tennessean to Australia. You you brought Bob <laughs> in to to Australia. Yep. And and so what 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 was that that attracted you to this whole learning team? model because I, I think that's that's where I found myself at as well is basically going out and trying to learn from basically from those that do right and I think yeah. that's a very important concept is is learning um, no matter how we want to put it right if we want to say learn from the blue line learn from those that do uh, try to learn from yeah. those that uh, I like those that do because most of us don't right <laughs> we're not <laughs> the ones that are actually out doing things so going yeah. out and understanding uh, all the stupid things that we put people through on a daily basis seems like a really good starting point for learning. Um, so what, what drew you to learning teams? What, what started you down that path of exploring uh, operational learning? I guess what, what, um, what was really attractive, there's a lot of theorists and there's a lot of people talking about mindset and philosophy and, and, and which is all great. And I, I'm happy to talk that stuff, yeah. you know, all, all week. Um, but you get to a point where people, and especially operational people, say, well, what do we do with it? That's great. We get your five principles and all your ideas. This is fantastic. What next? What do we do with it? And uh, learning teams is one of the first things I kind of came across or heard of. I thought, this is actually something which is actually then we can go and do um, and put into practice and uh, into method, which seems to be it just, yeah, I've just found it attractive and I thought, well, here's the man who's been doing this pretty extensively. So let's get him out and, and learn from him. So, so that was kind of where that started. But, but I think it was, yeah, just looking for something which we could, we could start doing as opposed to thinking about, I guess. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's huge. That's huge because that's, that's a question that I get a lot. Okay. Is, is what's, what do we do now? Right. I like this, 
this sounds super cool. I like this. This sounds great. But what do I do now? As an organization, what, what's the next step? And that's, that's often the input that I give folks is to explore operational learning because yeah. that's, that's an actionable thing that you can actually go out with, with, with ease, really, because it just takes time. <laughs> it's mostly what it takes is it, is it takes some time and it takes a willingness to listen and a willingness to maybe hear some not so great stuff. Uh, and you're going to go out and you're going to learn a lot of stuff if you're willing to. So kind of going back to that, I, I, a lot of the folks that, that, uh, that tune in, obviously, the podcast are practitioners or folks that are trying to get on a path of human and organizational performance. And I'll usually point them in the direction of, of Todd's book of the five principles. And then I'll point yeah. them down the direction of understanding operational learning to kind of seek out and understand. Um, I like to say, find the suck in your organization. That doesn't go over too well with some <laughs> orgs, but, <laughs> or I like, uh, I, I had, I had Sydney on not too long ago. And that's one thing that he said, you know, is ask, go out and just ask people, what's the stupidest thing that you have to do to work here every day. Right. I think any of those, those things are really a, a great place to start with operational learning. And even if we don't want to call it something as formal as a learning team, because I, I could go down a whole nother rabbit hole here where organizations like to over formalize everything and then it kind of yeah, makes yeah. it suck worse. And it was worse than what we had before. And you know where I'm going. <laughs> but just going out and starting, I think, is, is an important principle. Right. Yeah. And I, I think at that early stage, people need a process. And then once they've seen the process and they've done a learning team and they go, oh, actually, we don't actually need to do a formal learning team to be able to achieve a similar sort of outcome. But I think initially people need something a bit more concrete yeah. uh, to work with. And then once they've done that, they're like, okay, now, we, now we're starting to see where even just using some of these types of questions mm-hmm. in, in different settings can start to um, create better, better conversations, conversations that actually generate information uh, which then you can do something with, you know, it's, it's ultimately all about trying to get better intelligence, right? So we, uh, uh, we're better informed and we can make better decisions. So, um, so yeah, it, it, but that it all starts, I think for a lot of organizations, once they've seen learning teams and go, okay, well, yeah, we get what this is about now. Yeah. It, I think if you, if you can get folks to really grasp, um, the principles, right? To, to really, to really focus on those principles to begin with. And again, the, the principles being focused towards leaders, right? More so than anywhere else. I, I think some orgs yeah, go out with that. the wrong mindset of trying to push the principles down to the front line and they're forgetting <laughs> that the principles actually go the other direction. Right? <laughs> like, like they go this way, like this way over there, <laughs> but getting folks to understand. And I, I'll say that about the principles for the the simple reason that, you know, once you do go out and you do the learning team um, and, you know, you, you're going to hear some probably some pretty gnarly stuff that you might not want to hear sometimes. And that's the goal though, right? That's really the goal. You want to get to that point to where folks are going, oh, you think that's bad. Let me show you where I almost died yesterday. This is really bad, <laughs> right? That's, that's the conversation that you want to get to the point of having in your organizations. But if your response is wrong, right? You're, you're never going to get there, right? If as soon as someone says, let me show you where I almost died and then a manager's head explodes, right? And <laughs> it's, it's, it's never going to go any farther than that, right? Yeah. I think, I think what the, 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 that, yeah, what the, let me show you the spot where I almost died is scary. But I think for some managers, it's like, tell me, let me tell you about the time I broke cardinal rule. That's even scarier. Right. Irrelevant of the consequences. <laughs> right. you, broke up, you broke one of our cardinal rules. <laughs> right. But it's, um, yeah, that's, I think that's a really, uh, 
that's probably the one of probably the most important defining feature of a learning team or anything similar to that is that you only know, you know you're really doing operational learning when those kind of stories start to come out. If, if that kind of stuff isn't coming out, you probably are not doing it right, or they haven't built the trust yet. Um, I, I was involved with a with a kind of a kind of senior leaders safety meeting uh, back in the states last year, and um, we were talking about operational learning and learning teams and. And one of the managers said, oh, we're, we're already doing, we're already doing learning teams. You're not calling them learning teams. We're already doing them. And, and one of the managers who I've been working with here in Australia kind of uh, asked the question, in these, in these activities you're doing, do people tell you about their rule violations? And they're kind of, <laughs> this man, oh, uh, no. So, well, you're not doing learning teams then or operational learning. Well, that was kind of end of conversation and I was like right okay fair enough well, and, and, and you know you're in really wonky territory when a lot of them will say Air people don't break the rules that's when you know I think that we're kind of making we've made huge strides and this is becoming really quite quite prevalent and normal I, I could get exposed to an organization which is real really still very backward and then go oh wow yeah okay fair enough there is still a lot of work to do <laughs> Right. And I, that's, that's what's kind of most, most um, surprising to me is the amount of organizations that have never heard of human and organizational performance, the amount of organizations that haven't even heard of the old human performance, HPI, the U.S. Department of Defense stuff from way back when, like a lot of folks that have yeah. never even touched the base on, on that. You know, it's, it's really interesting to see that, that this is still pretty new territory for a lot of organizations. Oh, and yeah. many, many organizations, especially in high-risk industries, are still very rooted in traditional approaches to safety. And I'm not, I'm not throwing out all those approaches because as we kind of touched into aviation and as we kind of touched into nuclear generation, there's a lot of tried and true old school safety management stuff that's not bad. Right. It's there for a reason and it's probably good. Right. There's a lot of good stuff there that, that we keep because that's that's one of the first questions you get, you know, from from I will just say the the more traditionalist crowds. Right. You're going to throw everything away. <laughs> right? That's not just a traditionalist crowd. That's actually the uh, that's actually the, one of the most effective weapons that uh, that naysayers try and use. Oh, this is all crap. You're just throwing everything out. It's like who, who ever said that was right. ever the objective. <laughs> right. Wait, it kind of create this straw man or caricature of what what safety or hop is, and say, "Oh, that's rubbish." We're like that would be rubbish if that's what we were actually advocating right. for. <laughs> but no one is. <laughs> no, and I, th I think that that's that's what's what's great. Kind of, I, I always fall back on the principles, right? Again, viewing things through those principles. I, I always and I always I share with people this is that. Um, when you're sorting through those things in your organization that, you know, cause you have that moment at some point um, as you mature in your, 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 your approaches to safety, that you're going to have to ask yourself this question, which is okay, keep it or toss it, right? There's, there's times when you have to go through that. There's an exercise in that, you know, and, and at some point while you're doing that, a really good test is to just ask, does this harm trust? Does this put downward pressure on reporting, on openness, on honesty, on trust, on any of that stuff in their organization? And if it does, you should probably scrap it, right? That's a pretty simple test that's, that still aligns with a lot of the principles. That's a piece that I share with folks all the time is that if it's harming the, your, your folks' ability to be honest with you, there's no way it can be good for you. Right. There's, there's, there's just no way it can be good for your organization. Um, if it's impacting their ability to tell you that story where they almost died, 
or to tell you about a rule violation, it can't be that healthy for the org. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's probably the most, one of the most valuable things about, about Hop and, and, and kind of these various different new view kind of approaches. They're, they're all kind of, despite what <laughs> some of the opponents would say, it's about critical thinking. It's about actually questioning. And everything's, nothing is, nothing is a, there's no sacred cows in terms exactly. of, yeah. uh, it's like, well, even, even maybe new view ideas are open to, to critique. Um, so it's about, well, how do we know this is working? How do we know this is effective? Don't, not just accepting things on tradition. Um, we've always done it. Well, so what? It might have always been crap or it might be useful, but how do we know? Uh, and that's one of the things that I kind of found most um, useful from, from studying Griffith, with, particularly with, with Drew Ray, um, getting that kind of perspective um, and looking at things with, a, I guess, a more critical eye and looking, what, what's the underpinning logic here? What, what's at play and, and on what basis is this uh, or what foundation is this based on? Right. Um, and that, that kind of gets you to, uh, I guess, think a lot more clearly about, well, what are we trying to achieve in the first place and, and why? Um, and I think that's, that's something which is a, maybe an underrated but becoming increasingly more important for safety professionals to be able to have that kind of yeah. capacity to be able to do that. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree because – um, you know, I, I think back to to my first kind of toes in the water with health and safety. You know, I, I, I had a, a strange and interesting wild road that that brought me to safety and health as well. And, you know, I think about my first kind of my, my first years into it. And, you know, I'm sitting here in large scale maintenance and construction contractors working in some of the most high risk areas in the United States in some of the, the largest nuclear generating facilities in the world that could have massive, massive negative consequences for not so great things happening. Right. And a lot of our plan was, okay, just make sure it's zero. <laughs> right. And we're, and we're flying the zero banner and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that path. People know my thoughts there. Right. I'll I can go on a little <laughs> tangent if I want to I pull my soapbox out and stand on it. But we kind of going down this path of, of, of zero and these kind of really, really, uh, I don't even want to call it traditional, just these really kind of dated approaches to, okay, if we just get rid of bad behaviors, then we won't have near misses. And if we don't have near misses, we definitely can't have first aids. And if we don't have first aids, we definitely can't kill people, right? And we forget that that's just not how things actually happen in the real world, right? Seductive we, though, right? It's seductive. And, yeah. and the thing is... Uh, complex like that's the one thing one of the one of the things that sometimes people struggle with with hop is like okay we're, we're telling them there's a messy world out there and, and, exactly. and the work is messy and the blue line's messy and, and it's complex and all the rest of it and that while people then get it is not a terribly satisfying answer for some people it's like well right. can you not just give me a neat and tidy answer right and you not give us some right. simple things we can do and then which is like you know better behaviors and always be careful yeah. and kind of making sure people follow the rules they're simple explanations and, and they're, they're easy to kind of like communicate and to, there's easy actions you can put to them. So it's kind of like, it's not always a popular message. Just kind of. <laughs> no, and especially for, um, I'll, I'll pick on my executive friends out there, especially for a lot of executives, right? I mean, they're wanting to look down upon the organization and see very clear and concise data that says we're doing good or we're not doing good. Right. And yeah. when you when you provide that answer, which is the more honest answer that it is messy and it is complex and I can try to paint you a linear picture, but it's probably going to be 
wildly inaccurate and it's not going to tell you what you want, want it to tell you anyways. Right. It's, it's this, uh, it's, it's, it's boiled down, you know, our people into three little boxes on a spreadsheet usually, right. Which is red, green, and yellow. And we're going to always green be green or else, right. We're going to be green or else uh, when really we're probably not right. Because that's how we end up in these weird, situations at least here um, where we're managing OSHA recordability and trying to to case manage down things to keep it from hitting this or you know we're just managing metrics rather than we're actually you know focusing on making things better and that's a hard sell sometimes <laughs> that's yeah. that's a hard sell you know for those that group of folks in particular because again, from, from their perspective, they want to look down and see something that's very clear and very linear. And that's just not usually the answer, right? Yeah. And, and of course, it's, we always try and say to uh, the people we work with in training, it's like everyone's got their own local rationality. Everyone's got their own right. sharp end. So their sharp end is, one. well, our organization, I don't want to be the one who's having to say, well, well why are our recordables changing or maybe not in a, in a way we would like them to be changing because yeah. we're doing this new, this new thing called hop which i can't even really fully explain to you but it's i promise you it's going to be good right but in the short term the numbers might not look so good or, or whatever it might be so it's um you got to try and see things from from their perspective um and i think when when particularly we spent so long telling senior leaders and executives and boards they have to care about safety so i think in the main senior leaders and boards and executives do care about safety Absolutely. because what do they do with that care yeah. um and a, a lot of them have learned over a long period of time, exposure to ideas like zero harm and driving down TR, uh, Triffer or whatever terminology you use. And it's kind of yeah. like, that's, that's how we show that commitment. Uh, and it can be very well-intentioned and oftentimes I believe is very well-intentioned. What they don't realize is that's actually harming the organization's yeah, safety exactly, performance. Exactly. Kind of almost... Um, dogmatic approach to things it's like well the number's got to be this it's like well tell me what that number even means yeah well i don't know but it's 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 got a, got a little bit worse than it was last year and it's, <laughs> whether it's even statistically significant or not is irrelevant it's like well the number needs to be going down or oh, at yes. worst holding steady or whatever the case yeah. may be yeah. um so yeah i i think a lot of stuff a lot of harm is done in safety not I think there's a lot more done by, by accident than by design. No, I, I totally agree because one thing that I have found is that, you know, for some reason, I, and you touched on it, we've, we've felt this need to constantly be telling the boardroom that they need to care more. And, and mm-hmm. we, we do that. We do that all throughout the organization. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> a lot of more traditional organizations um, have done that with anything, right? It, it, it's it, look, you wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened to you if you were a better employee is basically what we're saying. If you would have cared more, if you would have paid more attention, it, it's basically saying that if you weren't such a terrible employee, this, this bad stuff wouldn't happen to you. So we do that at, at all levels of the organization where we have, um, but we, we, you're spot on. We have done that with the executives for a very long time. and. I have just found time. I, I don't think I have met an executive that just that didn't care. I, mm. I, I can't say that I that I have met an executive that didn't care. I'm sure that they exist. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I, I, and I, I've probably been pretty fortunate in being able to say that because I'm sure other folks have met some that just probably don't care. Uh, if they don't, they usually don't invite folks like us around, at least for very long anyways. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. if, if they don't have some level of care. But I, I compare them to like the little kid that has like a pet, like a pet bunny or like a small pet puppy. And they just love it so much that they squeeze it till it dies. 
right? <laughs> That's kind of what they do with safety a lot of times, right? They love it. They love their employees so much that they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze until, you know, through things like zero harm, through things like incentivized metrics, through things like all these different things that ultimately drive probably behaviors that we don't want to see within the organization anyways. And at the end of the day, they end up getting some really great numbers. They end up getting that green box a lot of times that they're looking for. But then a couple of years down the road, they have a fatality. Then another couple of years down the road, they have another fatality. Then a couple of years down the road, they have another fatality. But we're not scratching arms anymore and we're not pinching fingers and stuff. We're still killing the same amount of people. <laughs> but, mm. but, we're, but we're not getting bumps and scrapes. So it's still kind of back to that point that um, I really think that a lot of executives now at least are starting to wake up to that idea that if we want to get a different result, at least on the the fatality prevention piece of this stuff, which is where most folks in the industries that we're talking about are focused on, we're getting there. We spent a lot of time focused on bumps and, scra- and scrapes, and now we're starting to realize, like, okay, that might not be the greatest place to focus. We might want to focus over here on not killing people. And we're starting to get back to, to, to that. And I think that through that, um, we're starting to see some executives that are becoming more open-minded to doing things. Here's the magic word, differently. I know we, we kind of shamed that word a little bit at the beginning, but differently because doing the same things that they've always done, just continuing to get the same result. We're getting zeros around certain things, but we're not really growing in and around the real high-risk, nasty, gnarly stuff. Huh? Yeah, and I think a lot of organizations too, it's, it, I don't think... I think that the hardest thing is getting the opportunity to speak to those people because I think it sells itself once you actually speak to those people. It's very, and it's like, I, since we've been operating in the kind of hop space, I've still been waiting for the absolute horrendous pushback from yeah. people who have actually been exposed to the ideas. Yeah. The only people I get absolutely slated from on, on stuff are people who've got no idea about it because mm-hmm. I can tell that just from the comments they make. I'm like, well, yeah. that's not even hop you're talking about there or say differently so you're kind of pelting us from the sidelines with stones which aren't even about stuff which isn't even accurate or true but when you actually speak to people you know senior leaders and and operations managers and and so forth very rarely do i get a severe pushback the vast majority of people go yeah okay this makes sense Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) yeah so I, i think there's as i say that the message sells itself it's just getting getting the message in front of the right people because uh, then once there's the will to, to make changes, there's, there's, you know, sky's the limit in terms of what can be achieved. Yeah, uh, you're, you're exactly right, because um, there's a couple pieces there that I think is really interesting. I think the majority of the, the pushback that I have seen in and around human and organizational performance in general uh, comes from, as you, as you mentioned, folks that do not understand it. And a lot of times it's folks that do not care to understand it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an interesting, yeah. I think that's a very, very important point. Um, and unfortunately, my personal experience has been that most of those folks that do not care to go out and try to understand it are other safety professionals. Yes, <laughs> which is which is seems ten times worse, right? Sometimes they've got a lot, a lot of sunk cost in, a, in another Absolutely. in another particular perspective, yeah. shall we say, yeah. <clears throat> behavior based <clears throat> something, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 which I'll, I'll touch on that though, because I actually just had on. Um, um, not that long ago, I actually had on Dr. Tim Ludwig, which is if you wanted to classify him as anything, he's a behavior-based safety guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up under Scott Geller at Virginia Tech, yeah. and and he's he's got a great book out. I don't think I have it laying around here called Dysfunctional Practices, which is actually a great read. But so I started reading this book, and I'm going, this guy's talking about hop. 
right? So I, I, I ended up getting him on. And that's a lot of where his book was going is how do you take back to the point on taking the stuff that that's important and the stuff that's useful, because not all of BBS was crap, right? There was some, some probably some oh, good know. stuff there, right? I think that it was, as with a lot of things, it was kind of the snake oil salesman that went out and diluted it down into a check sheet and then sold it, you know, and it, it, it just, it just lost anything that it could have been, I guess. Um, but we know but the BBS kind of approaches work, Right, but only in very limited kind of situations. Exactly. So it's no, but the, the example I always use is like if you've got a very specific context with a very specific rule and desirable behavior, BBS works. So getting right. in a car and putting on your seatbelt, that's the kind of intervention where yeah. you can kind of like it, be, you, it. You reinforce that so much that to the point whereby it gets it doesn't feel right to be driving exactly. without the seatbelt on. Right. But, that is a very specific rule in a very specific context with a very specific action you want to be done. That does not translate into then a very generalist sort of approach, which is always make good decisions. Think of right. your buddies, you know, hearts and minds type programs where more. you just yeah. really broad brush yeah. and it ends up becoming a waste of time. Um, yeah. So, well, it- what what happens in a lot of organizations? Um, not to get too too deep down that rabbit hole, uh, you, the utilities loved it. I mean, that's this this is where I found myself going, but you know, beating my head against the wall. There's several power plants scattered across the United States where there's a, a print, my head print on the wall, beating my <laughs> head against the wall with this stuff. But it it was just sold as a listen. You go out, you talk to people, you fix people. Here's a card you can even record those interactions on this card. So now you can trend those and you can predict injuries and accidents based off of your observation data. And mm. you're just going, oh, great! <laughs> like more, more, more of this, right? But to 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 the point that um, a lot of the point, not not the entire point, but some of the point that that uh, Dr. Ludwig was making is that um, in his version of behavior-based safety, is a lot of this that you know he's looking at at, at behaviorism really as, at the point end of the spear, more of data collection than anything else, right? It's giving you the opportunity to say, hey, there's probably a, an issue there. Right. If that person's, you know, standing on a bucket to reach, you know, this component, then that means most other people are probably doing the same thing. I probably yeah, shouldn't, yeah. you know, I'm going to go get that person down off of that bucket because, you know, that's probably not good. But yeah. we should probably dig in and understand why the system is manifesting that behavior. Exactly. And you're starting to see that more as a symptom of a problem rather right. than the problem. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's, that what was, that, that's what's so great about that conversation. At this point, folks listening, they can go back and, and listen to that because it, it'll be out by then. Um, but, it, you know, he's even, you know, again, going down the path of a lot of, a lot of Deming's work, which is really interesting. And you don't hear a lot mm-hmm. of that really coming from the behaviorist crowd yeah, <laughs> that yeah, much. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting approach because I think that that's kind of where we have to start to go next. I, we talked a little bit, a little bit about this at the beginning that there's a lot of folks that we get tied up on what name means what, and then we get tied up on, okay, old view versus new view. And then anyone can go on and log into LinkedIn for five minutes and you can find arguments happening between old view and new view safety in the comments somewhere. And it's, it's not even arguments of fact or logic. It's just arguments of feelings more than it is anything else. But I think the point is, is kind of where I'm going with this little bit of a ramble is to, you know, going back to, as we touched on some traditional approaches, there's some good there, right? Touching on the, the approach of um, folks like Dr. Tim Ludwig, you know, and digging into some of that, there's some good stuff there. And, you know, as we go through and we start to apply it through this lens of human and organizational performance, 
I think as we start to pull all that stuff together, we're going to continue that evolution into something that's better and better and better. Right. I, th- I think yeah, that's yeah. kind of where we have to focus because a lot of safety folks back to the point on safety folks being the ones that are very dismissive of kind of new approaches in general, until we start to come together as a profession, we're going to be kind of stuck spinning our wheels a little bit because we're just too busy arguing with each other about, okay, no, this, this is crap. No, this is good. No, this is crap. No, this, this is good. So I think, I think it'd be interesting to see kind of where we go next. Where, where do you think, uh, where do you think we go next as a profession? What, what do you, where do you, where do you see us in 10, 15 years from now? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I, I, I've got a nod to Dave Proven on, on that. Cause I think he's written some really great stuff and some has some great ideas. And I think, uh, the paper that he's done and drawing on some of the ideas of Dave Woods. Um, I think that's where, where the safety profession is going. A lot of these ideas in terms of seeing essentially safety professionals in the future, their role is to, I, I guess, to, to be more of a facilitator and a facilitator of information uh, and, and relationships and kind of bridging that gap between workers imagined and workers done, kind of providing that real time view of what's happening in the organization. Drew likes to use the term holding up a mirror to the organization to show what it's, what it's yeah. really like. And I think that's that's the future. I was having this conversation with a group of safety professionals just recently and I said, it's funny, isn't it? Safety professionals will often complain that they're not taken seriously or they I haven't got a seat at the top table. And I say, well, that's down to the safety profession to sort out. That's not it's our problem, not the organization's problem. Yeah. We need to be if, you know, if we're only ever going to be an obstruction and the people who go around filling out forms and ticking boxes and, and monitoring behaviors and the compliance whinges, you think, if we, well, we've, we've got this big stick called compliance and there's this stuff called due diligence. And if you're not doing the right thing, well, you're going to go to prison. That We're never going to be taken seriously or be a valued part of the organization. We're always going to be a necessary evil. So it's down to the safety folks to actually provide value make themselves a, in, in, you know, uh, a part of the organization we can't do without. And I think that is coming down to this kind of uh, some of the, the ideas that, um, like I say, Dave Woods and, and Dave Probins pulled on that in terms of saying, well, we're the people who know stuff. We're the people who are connected. We have the insights that you don't have, and we can be able to provide that information. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the future of, of, of safety professionals, and that is a valuable thing. That's, that will get you a seat at the top table uh, and get you taken seriously. Well, and, and you're, 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 you're saying the magic word, which is value, right? Instead of obstruction, it's bringing value to the organization for so long, right? For so long, safety professionals, and, and, and it's, it's by our own doing a lot of times, we, instead of becoming connectors of people and facilitators and all of this stuff, we become hoarders of information and we say, okay, well, you can't do this without me. So (laughs) I need to sign this form. So if I create the form, then that means it has to root through me. And then you have to have me at that point It's back to that kind of more obstructionist view on on what we're, you know, we're creating these obstructions and we're, I mean, I've even had that conversation with other safety professionals where they're going, well, my logic behind this is, it's just to slow people down when you don't understand that's going to backfire. And that's, again, that's a whole nother conversation when we start talking efficiency and kind of (laughs) human beings and kind of all this other stuff. Um, But I I think, I think you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Is that it's moving into that role of becoming a facilitator. It's moving into that role of, to me, it's this, it's the, the, the thought that I've, I've really kind of been pondering on for a long time is how do we actually move safety from a religion to a science? Right. And that's really the point. Right. We're in this kind of weird religious pseudoscience. You, you kind of even drew out some of that when you were saying, you know, 
you know, we're going to put you in jail. And most, most folks will say, well, you have sinned against our most sacred, you violated against our most sacred procedure. You sinned against our most sacred rules. And we're going to, we're basically going to kick you out of the village because you've sinned against our rules. And that's really what it's boiled down to is that safety has become so important that it's, that it's religious in most organizations uh, and not to get too far deep down the rabbit hole of, of some of the inner workings of religion, but it seems like we would be better off trying to bring that back into scientific territory, trying to do things that are actually proven and things that are actually beneficial and back to the value add. If we're doing things that are actually doing things, we're going to be creating value rather than just doing things that feel good, seem right. Right. Because it's kind of back to some of that, that seductiveness of blaming people that we're talking about. It feels good to find a wrongdoer. And especially if we have something that's, that's very, very near and dear to us to the point of being almost a religion in which we can say, Oh, they sinned against their procedures. They're a bad person. We can hold them accountable accountable you know, yeah, right? yeah, yeah and we can we, don't we blame can organization right? organizations don't blame no. we, we just hold people to account we don't blame we just we just yeah exactly. <laughs> but so we do right we we go down that path and then we we send people off into the wilderness and say you are no longer welcome here because you sinned against our most sacred and our most precious and i just yeah. don't I, I don't think I, I don't know how we can as as organizations or as industries continue to convince ourselves that that's probably the healthiest approach to betterment yeah and and coming back to that 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 point i was making before i, I think if you don't know any different you don't know any different so right. it's like yeah. a, a lot of senior execs they're not safety professionals um so they they do what they've they've always done and what seems to be the kind of the, the, the best practice, so to speak, and, and right. what everyone else is doing. So, oh, well, everyone else is doing this kind of, you know, we, we safety first or zero harm or, mm-hmm. you know, my commitment to safety pledge right. and all, all this kind of stuff. And deep down, many of them probably, while they're committed to the, yeah. the idea of, of, you know, people being looked after and being safe, they probably don't buy into a lot of this stuff, but it's kind of like the expectation is that you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. You're a kind of uh, signed up kind of badge wearing zero harm sort of advocate. And even though many of these, many of these managers, I I know deep down feel deeply uncomfortable about it, but it's like, well, um, this is what we have to do. So I've had managers say to me, this message is liberating. It's it's liberating. Giving us permission to say, actually, I don't feel comfortable about some of the stuff that we do in the name of safety. Um, And we want to change it. And it's like, well, guess what? You don't need permission. No, exactly. <laughs> you don't need permission from us. Well, that's you know, that's the great thing when you're talking to a group of executives is just convincing them to kind of get out of their own way sometimes. Because again, they mm. they have the authority and power to, to do a lot of what they want to do. Yeah, <laughs> which is exactly which is right. interesting. But yeah, it's 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 weird, right? Because again, you find yourselves in that situation, kind of back to the role of the safety professional, where instead of being something that's adding value, you're almost you're almost in in the priesthood. <laughs> In some ways, right? You kind of you kind of have the rule book, which is the Bible of the organization, and then you kind of have the safety professional, which in some organizations is the executioner as well, right? And then you kind of go down this whole path of just not so great stuff. But to your point, is that you know once you actually give them this message that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, it's they kind they have this huge moment where they just go, wow, right? When you see someone actually click with human and organizational performance, it's really interesting, and I get that question a ton as I'm sure you do too, is, okay, how do I get a leader on board with this? How do I, how do I, you know, start someone down this path? And for me, it was always, it's always been this is 
I don't like personally, I don't like to be forced towards things. We we're kind of having this conversation before we started recording, picking on the state of Arizona a little bit, but <laughs> most folks don't want to feel forced into something. Right. So what yeah, I yeah. found is that uh, to your point, you know, I've sent people links to like Todd's podcast, right. Or, you know, some of those first original videos that I think of some of the, uh, some of the first ones I've seen of Todd on YouTube, some of the series that, that Decker had originally put up some of the lectures that he yeah. had posted. Right. I send people links to those, or I just drop a book off on their desk. Right. I don't even say who it's from. And it's just, it's funny because most, most reasonable folks, and I'll throw in the word reasonable, most reasonable people will kind of draw the same conclusions once you're exposed to the principles of human and organizational performance. Some takes a little longer than others. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that generic adoption curve, right? As we kind of start to implement stuff, people will usually fall somewhere on that curve. Uh, but again, those executives, you, you just, just send them a link to a podcast, <laughs> It's send them a link to a video, send them a, send them a copy of a book. Right. And once they really start to dive in, um, that's, that's how I found it. Right. I was, I was ultimately, um, at, at the point in my career that I discovered safety differently. And I say that because oddly enough, safety differently was the first book that I read that had to do with any of this stuff, the safety differently book. Yeah. But I'd say I, I read that, that right? one. I, I, I picked it up a fair few times and just found it a little bit <laughs> yeah. heavy going. Some of Sydney's work is a little heavy going, but, um, and, and I think that was probably one of the ones where I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is, this is, this is a bit of a, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a slog, but, um, what what would you um what what would you recommend people to read like for the, if someone out there is not familiar with human and organizational performance at all what would you recommend their first their first book be I guess it depends on who what industry they're in for aviation folks I I we use the field guide as a yeah. um, as a textbook for uh, our safety investigators course. And I kind of say it's for me, it's the right balance between readability and academic rigor and and, and so forth. And it's just a, quite an accessible book. So yeah. I, I recommend that. And of course, uh, Todd's books as well are pretty accessible as well. So uh, yeah. I think either or people are going to get a reasonably uh, good introduction to the ideas and concepts without kind of drowning in, in stuff, uh, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that's yeah, generally yeah. My, my recommendation. You, 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 you kind of, you, you mirrored my thoughts as well. It's, it's the field guide or the five principles book or both. That's usually the two that I point people in the direction of. Yeah. I think if, if I could just like snap my fingers and make everyone in our in, in industry read one book, it would be the field guide. <laughs> if there was one book that I would mandate to be on everyone's desk, I believe it would, it would probably be the field guide. But for folks that, that are not familiar with human performance at all, I would encourage them to, to probably read the five principles. Uh, yeah. That's a really good kind of light read starting point and then dive into that field guide. But most folks that I have, have pointed in the direction of the field guide, they're the ones that like email me and text me like, I can't stop reading this book for whatever, for whatever reason. <laughs> well, let me ask you this before we go, because we're, we're almost out of time. I don't, I don't want to, uh, if, if I don't set a time limit as, as folks out there in podcast land know <laughs> that this will go for like six hours. Um, but uh, you guys have been doing this, doing a lot of stuff with Hop Lab, right? So could you tell everybody kind of what that is? And I know we intended probably to jump into that more, but we kind of went down the Hop Rabbit hole a little bit, not, not yeah, me. Yeah, but. <laughs> so we started the Hop Lab a couple of years ago, and it was just kind of, um, it was an idea that had been forming of like, well, how do we create a space, like a creative space uh, to kind of share ideas um, about about hops? So we kind of came up with this idea of the, the Hop Lab and the kind of the, 
kind of key ideas to share, collaborate, and innovate. Um, so we'd been bringing these people over to from the states and other places to talk about hop and, and associated ideas, and we'd captured all this great footage. So we were like, let's let's put this out there through a through a, this 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 vehicle, uh, yes, hop lab. And then just recently, we kind of thought, well, it's kind of hard work maintaining a website, a separate website for that. So we've been pushing a lot more stuff into the YouTube channel. So we've got kind of pretty much. Every week, there's one or two new videos getting released on the on the Hot Lab channel. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a I guess it's all it's all free material that we're, we're kind of pushing out there, and it, we're starting to get some really great stories of people who've been saying, "Oh yeah, I've actually heard of that. I actually saw like uh, on a Hot Lab." <laughs> so it's like that's exactly what we wanted to do is to like well provide people with like essentially a whole heap of free resources that can use back in their own organization to yeah. start a conversation. They, they are absolutely excellent. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that. I mean, just, just from the folks that you have on to uh, obviously the, the production value of them are it's just phenomenal. They're just, they're just great. Right. So they're, yeah, they're super cool. And I would encourage folks to go check those out because they are, they're good. They're good. So I, I, I just, uh, I'd been going through them a while back, just watching and listening and they're just, they're just, it's just awesome stuff. Just awesome stuff. And that's actually where I was at first exposed to Gary Wong. So by the time this comes out, I've, I've actually had Gary on as well. So his episode will be coming out as well. So I was, again, it's just a great spot for folks to go tune in and listen just to some amazing, amazing information. I mean, it's so valuable what, what you're doing there as well. So I think awesome. one of the things we wanted to achieve with the Hop Lab was to, to have people on who were involved directly in Hop, but then also to in, in, you know invite people who are not necessarily in Hop, but have got ideas which are very complementary too. So there's been a few different people we've done things with, like um, Mark McCurgo, we invited him over from the UK, but uh, when was that? Last year or the year before, I forget, I lose track now. But his ideas on host leadership, just they just sit so nicely with the kind of the hop perspective. So like, well, I sent, I introduced him to the ideas, sent him uh, a reading list, which he, he smashed, read through all these books, and he was like, wow, this is so amazing. And it yeah. just fits so nicely with with all of his work he's done, you know, within solutions focus and in and host leadership and so forth. I mean, an interesting thing there was once we really got talking, the kind of common thread was the fact that he had a background in complexity science. Mm. So it's kind of like anyone who's got that understanding for complexity and complexity science, all these kind of approaches start to make sense. So they've got this kind of thread that kind of comes through and ties together. So, and obviously that's the connection with Gary Wong. We've been involved with the Kinefin framework and cognitive edge and all that stuff, which again, the, the kind of complexity science connection. So wherever there's kind of people are interested in kind of complexity, you start to get these nice synergies in terms of other ideas we can bring in that can be useful uh, in hop. What I think that's what's so great about what's going on. It's just um, with Hop Lab and the, and then obviously the greater community. That's one thing that I always have to brag on about about this group of folks that's in and around human and organizational performance is that we're from all over the place. <laughs> both with the careers and kind of where we've come from and kind of all this stuff. But there's, there's one really interesting common theme there and that we're all, we're kind of all in the same mission, right. Of making things better. And however we get there, right. It's just this community that has grown, which is just phenomenal. It's just amazing. Right. And I think it's a common thread there in terms of everyone sharing and everyone's trying to just, yeah put it out there and share the information and try and, because we, we, I think that everyone's of the same mind that the more people who know about this and want to do this, well, that benefits everybody. So let's just keep exactly. on pushing it out there. And, you know, it's, um, 
share, well, it, you know, share, you, share the wealth, so to speak, and kind of um, exactly, exactly. And for me, for me, a lot of it was this: is that, and I'm, I'm sure you've you've had a similar experience. When I first started down this path with you know with my day job, right, and and leading an organization down the path of human and organizational performance. Um, there wasn't a lot of information out, at least that was readily accessible. And this was just, you know, this has not been that long ago, right? You, you think over the past, what, four or five years, the amount of information has grown exponentially, right? Which is great. It's awesome. Um, again, as you kind of mentioned back into, um, like when you, when you had your first experience with Bob coming over, you know, 2016, 2015 timeframe, 2014, you know, I, I think, I think back in 2014, 2013, when I'm first kind of reading some of this stuff, right. 2000, you know, 12, 13, and I'm going, okay, how do I go? And I, how do I actually find a class? And yeah. I remember the person that, that I was kind of mentoring with at the time, a human, a human performance person, going, uh, you know, you can't. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, well, they only happen like once a year. <laughs> right? And you go, oh, okay. Well, then we have, you know, so just to be able to find the information and then, you know, going down the path of, of, of drawing other organizations down this path. And, and, and again, until recently, this, this information was not that readily available. So, I, again, I think just the fact that you're seeing more podcasts happening. The fact that you're seeing amazing, awesome, useful stuff like what you folks are doing at Hop Lab, the fact that you're seeing all this stuff kind of happening is just amazing. It's just amazing. And we're, I can't think of a single person uh, in this community. Every person that I have on, they all say this. So this, you're going you're to have to, you're going to get stuck here. You're going to have to say it too. Is they all say, listen, just, just contact me, right? If you have questions, if you, if you need help. You know, people are so willing and just generous with their time, right? And I, I think back yeah, to yeah. the same yeah. thing that I do. I'm just like, just just send me an email. Give me, give me some time. I'll gladly sit down and talk with you for as long as you want about Hop. I'm good with that, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's back to that point of just all of us together. The more that we're having this conversation, the more information that we're putting out there, the more, the more folks that are coming into this space, the better it's going to get, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we say that all the time. Like if anyone who's kind of really starting, just, just starting to engage with the ideas and want someone to talk to or bounce stuff off, we say that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, any place, we'll be happy to have yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I say to people all the time, hey, if you think senior leadership's a problem, I'm more than, I'll come and speak to your senior leadership yeah. at no cost. I'll happily right. come and have the conversation exactly. with them. And, yeah. and love doing it because yeah. for me, that's some of the most, that's the most enjoyable and fulfilling work that I do is having those conversations and, and working with the people to help them progress and then seeing that start to take action in the organization. That is, that's the best buzz we get. Yeah. Oh, that's what, yeah, exactly. So let me, let me ask you this. And before we, before we wrap up here, um, how can folks get a hold of you? How can folks get a hold of, uh, you know, get a hold of you and, you know, get aligned with Southpac and everything else that you guys have going on? How can, uh, how can they find you? Yeah, all, all the usual stuff. I guess I use LinkedIn as often as I can or remember to uh, to post stuff. <laughs> LinkedIn is one of those annoying things where you kind of go, "Oh yeah, I should write a post about that. I should put that up on LinkedIn." And you forget, and you go, "What was that? I was going to write about." I can't even remember it. So it's already gone again. But it's uh, yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Our website southpackinternational.com. Uh, the Hop Lab is about to go to its own subdomain. So very shortly, we'll have hoplab.org. Nice. Uh, that's the very easy way to find find the hot lab but uh, it's also just look up hot lab on youtube and you'll find our channel and 
uh, all the content we're, we're pushing out through there. And like I say, we're probably at the moment one or two videos a week coming out. So uh, there's always something new and interesting on there. So, so yeah, we'd be very happy to, to hear from anyone. And as I've already said, if you're in Australia and you're uh, thinking, well, this is the next step for our organization. I'm happy to come and speak to your leadership anytime, any place. Within COVID restrictions, obviously. <laughs> you might you might have to do that virtually for the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most likely will be Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and so here's here's the uh, here's the last one. Um, I have to ask because it's it's our, our infamous final question, which is this. I don't I don't know how it came to be, but for whatever reason, I always ask any final words, any last words, <laughs> anything that you would like to share with folks out there, anything that's on your heart, anything that's on your mind, any. Uh, go-dos for safety professionals, just just whatever, anything that you'd like to like to share with folks out there before we get done. Yeah, that's a, after all that conversation, come up with a final word. I guess it's got to be a case of be willing to try something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess if that's the, for any safety professional, sometimes it takes a little bit of humility and a little bit of bravery. Uh, it takes a little bit of both uh, to be able to say, you know what? Um, We've been doing all these things for a long time and I believe they've been working. It takes a, bit, a little bit of humility to say, well, maybe they're not working or maybe there are other ways. So be willing to explore and look at different ideas, be willing to be wrong. Um, and that takes a bit of humility and it takes a bit of bravery. So I think if we have a bit of both of those, I think we can make a lot of progress. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. Exactly. I, th- I think uh, I, I could not put it any better. So I thank you so much for coming on, my friend. It, this has been awesome. People are going to like it. They're going to love it. They're going to they're going to demand that you come back. Just FYI. So thanks very much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Well, what did you think about that one? I had an absolute blast hanging out with Andy. I like it. I love it. I got to have more of it. And I know that you feel exactly the same way. So maybe all of you can reach out and poke and pester Andy and tell him that we need to have him back on to have another one of these conversations soon. I'm pretty sure that that will happen in the near future. But that's all I've got. It's Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, signing off. I'm out of here. Bye, everybody. Bye. Once again, for tuning in and for all that you do to support us here at the Hop Nerd Podcast. Podcasts like this one are brought to you by your fellow hop enthusiasts. So if you would like to support the podcast and get some really cool little perks and stuff in return, head over and check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the hop nerd. It's also linked down below. I think it's down below somewhere, somewhere here. It's linked somewhere here in the show notes. Uh, we have several different tiers of support, even at the lowest level of support, which I believe is $6 a month. You get access to our entire podcast queue before anyone else. How cool is that? What that means is right now, instead of being done with this podcast, you would have about, I don't know, six 
seven more episodes that you could continue to binge on at any given time. So you usually have access to at least at least two or three weeks of podcasts that are unreleased. And then the tiers go up from there. Our most exclusive tier is known as the Mug Club, where you get an exclusive Hop Nerd coffee mug, and you are invited to a monthly, monthly virtual hangout session with me and your fellow Mug Club members in which we can chat about anything that you want to talk about. We sit around, drink coffee, and hang out for an hour. How cool is that? And there's some other stuff in between as well. So I just wanted to take a moment to share that with you. Uh, And again, thank you for your support. It is always, always appreciated.